Welcome to the Close-Knit Podcast, a podcast that showcases fiber artists from around the world. You're listening to episode 19, and this week I spoke to Julie of Little Loom. Julie is a free-form fiber artist, utilizing weaving and macrame techniques to create her unique wall hangings. She and I discuss our mutual love affair with all things linen, and how she made a transition from using whatever materials she found to thinking more consciously about where her materials came from and how they were made. We talk about navigating the complex space of pricing and selling handmade work, and how she keeps up the motivation to continue making work regularly. Julie tells me about her love of teaching freeform workshops as a form of art therapy for herself and her students, and how she has used this style of making to lighten her own state of being when going through some tough times. Thanks so much for tuning on, tuning in. <laughs> Listen on for our whole chat. I'd like to take a moment to thank this week's episode sponsor, Wool Gathering. Wool Gathering is a four-day wool craft retreat being held in Victoria in May 2017. It's a great opportunity to build on your knowledge of a craft you love or to try out something new. During the gathering, you'll participate in three wool-based classes. You can choose from knitting, crochet, spinning, tapestry weaving, sourry weaving, needle felting, wool embroidery, and yarn dyeing. Classes are held at Tani Homestead, a beautiful building dating from the 1840s and charming rooms filled with treasures of yesteryear. The gathering's teachers have many, many years of experience between them. Many have taught interstate and internationally, and they bring with them a wealth of knowledge and enthusiasm. Classes have been designed to suit all levels of experience, so you have the option to take all your classes within the same well-loved craft, or you can try something completely new as beginners are well-respected at wool gathering. In addition to learning from some of the best, you'll get a chance to tour the incredible Tawny Farm. Tom Dennis, the current sixth generation, how crazy is that, six generations, the current sixth generation owner of Tarni will entertain you with his history of Tarni tour where you'll learn about the pioneers who settled the property and then the fleece to yarn tour will see you walk the sheep from the paddocks to the shearing shed and you'll learn all about Fullworth fleece. Tickets are currently on sale and you can find all the nitty gritty details at www.woolgathering.com.au. And follow along on Instagram, Wool Gathering Australia, and on Facebook, also Wool Gathering Australia. Thanks again to Wool Gathering for sponsoring this episode. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I'm here with Julie of Little Loom. Hey, Julie. Hi. How are you going? <laughs> good. <laughs> good, good. So I'm still in Hobart, <laughs> or back in Hobart. I wasn't in Hobart for a little while. And you are in New South Wales. Uh-huh, yeah. Which part are you in? Uh, I am on the beautiful south coast mm. of New South Wales. It's paradise. Yeah. 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 Well, I was just thinking about this before we started chatting that you were showing me that picture of outside your house and your like house basically backs out onto National Park, right? Yeah, it does. That's the so life. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone listening, <laughs> I do this every single podcast episode. I'm like, so to everyone listening, we're going to have a craft retreat at Julie's house. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, you know, we have, a, we have a back deck that can seat a few people. So. <laughs> Perfect. I'm booking it. I'm booking yeah. it right now. <laughs> okay, great, Julia. I'm just going to jump straight into it and mm -hmm. start asking some questions. Okay. Cool. Uh, what's your fiber of choice and what sort of craft medium do you gravitate towards the most? Wow. Um, my current fiber crush is 
this beautiful extra thick cotton from String Harvest. Mm. Um, it's absolutely beautiful. It's Australian grown and milled, um, which ticks all the boxes for me as far as being ethical, fair trade, sustainable. And I also really, really love the felted wool from Jacinta at Plump & Co. Mm-hmm. She sent me two bumps of it just recently and I just hug it and, you know, squish it. It's beautiful. Um, and then linen, really, really love linen. Mm. So at the moment, they're what I seem to be using the most and am the most drawn to. Yeah. Mm. And you're using linen on like a cone? Like- mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I have a couple of cones of really beautiful linen that are just divine to work with as well. Yeah. I've often wondered about that because I've talked to a lot of knitters about their favorite fibers and things. Favorite fibers. I think I just said favorite. <laughs> favorite fibers. <laughs> um, I've talked to a lot of knitters about their favorite fibers and linen always comes up and it comes up for me mm. a lot because I love wearing linen as a fabric, mm. like a woven fabric. And then I've got some linen in my stash that's sort of like linen for knitting, mm-hmm. linen yarn, I guess. And I love, I love the idea of it. I love the way that it looks, but then like the actual feel of it in my hands, it's like a bit, it just doesn't have quite as much give as wool does. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that with working with it for weavings and things? Yeah. um, I'm completely linen obsessed Mm. as well. Um, Yeah. Linen sheets, linen clothes, anything. I just love it. I guess it's different for me when I work with it because I don't really need it to have a lot of give. Mm. It is it is like working with cotton cord. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, so for me, it's it's fine. But I can I could fully see how trying to knit with it or crochet with it would be challenging. Yeah, yeah. It's one yeah. of those. Um, Felicia Semple of the Craft Sessions put up a post the other day that was like bitch to knit joy to wear (laughs) and I feel like that like linen knitting probably falls into that category for me of like really didn't enjoy the process much but love the outcome yeah 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 Yeah, absolutely Mm. so when you are working with these different fibers you're are you mainly weaving and you do some macrame like can you tell me what your craft um craft of choice is Mm -hmm. um I guess I kind of do a bit of both. Mm. So I call it freeform. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a lot more intuitive. Um, I, I know four macrame knots and I know how to weave. I taught myself uh, using Google and YouTube. And so the freeform that I do, it's really a combination of both. Um, and it that's what I teach in the workshops mm. that I'm doing mm. um, is the freeform fiber art. I really love it. It's completely unstructured. There's no planning. I'm more guided by the materials that I use yeah. or I might have found a really amazing piece of driftwood or a really cool branch. And, yeah, I just kind of let those mediums tell a story and, I just go for it. Yeah. Mm. 
So how do you how do you teach that? Can you walk me through what that what a like workshop setup would kind of be like? Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Um, I try to give as good a description of it as I can um, when we're selling tickets for the workshops. Um, and the way I describe it is that it's intuitively creating um, using beautiful materials and a few really simple knotting techniques and weaving techniques. And then it's really about letting go. Um, I get a bit woo-woo while I'm... <laughs> While I'm while I'm teaching, um, it's yeah. almost like art therapy, to be honest, um, and mm. really encouraging people to just let go, because people get this really set idea in their head of what they're doing, and they're like, "I'm doing it wrong." Uh, no, there's no wrong. There's no right. At the end of the day, if it's if you love it. And if it's not going to fall apart, then it's totally fine. Um, so it's it's a pretty it's a pretty deep kind of process, really. Um, mm, mm. I, yeah, I was going to ask if you've ever had um, if you've ever had people kind of struggle with that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's one of my favorite things is throughout the, the workshops because they run for three hours. Mm. is seeing people shift so you will see people struggle and they find it really confronting because they're not given a pattern I'm not telling them what to make Mm. Um, I'm guiding them and I'm helping them but to see that shift when it drops in and they get it and they just let go it's really I, I get goosebumps just talking mm. about it because it's such a beautiful thing to watch. Um, yeah, I just I just love it. It's so freeing for people. I find I get a lot of mums mm. that I've noticed come to the workshops. And yeah. yeah, I guess it becomes like this really safe space where they don't have kids to tend to it's time for themselves and they can really just let go because as a mum you don't really get that um yeah I I kind of don't know what else to say about it it's really beautiful I love it Mm. I absolutely love teaching it um and I don't even feel like I'm a teacher you know I'm I'm a guide um and I just kind of help them find their way and I encourage them to not try and finish their piece in the workshops mm-hmm. because it is a process and sometimes you do need to stop, walk away, come back. Yeah. Yeah. So did you kind of start with one or one or the other, the weaving or the macrame, or was it like really intuitive for you to just immediately meld those things? What was that like? I, I'll give you the quick uh, version of, of where it all started. Sure, yeah. <laughs> I'll try and make it quick. I do waffle. No, um, no. <laughs> it's perfect for a podcast, in my opinion. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. <laughs> um, so in 2014 um, is when I first started, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a tiny lap loom kit from Typo, if 
you're in a, oh, yeah. Yeah. If you're in Australia, <laughs> you know what typo is. I don't know what the American equivalent would be, but Yeah, no, I can't think of what it would be either actually. It's like a it's like a little stationary store kind uh-huh. of, right? Yeah. 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 And that was my first experience. Um, I'll be really open. Um, I was struggling with postnatal depression and mm. weaving just became like this really beautiful meditative escape almost for me to just dive into Um, and I just fell in love with it so I started weaving first and I was really really bad at it like (laughs) so so bad Um, many a weave went in the bin it just wasn't even worth saving but you know it's a process and it's learning and and so then I started dabbling with a little bit of macrame. I had done some really basic macrame when I was in school. Um, yeah, and, you know, I just kind of plodded along. And I think with the weaving, I tried too hard. I tried to be what I thought a weaver should be. Mm. And I felt like if I wasn't doing that, that I was doing it wrong. Um, and then one day I bought some really beautiful hand-spun yarn and I decided to just not try so hard and to just let go and I created probably the first piece that I ever really, really loved Mm. and that was a big turning point for me and then as time went on I started listening to the Wool Days podcast and was learning about fibre and realised that I was contributing in a really big way to the overconsumption of really cheap, nasty, horrible yarns and that it really wasn't great for the environment. And so I gradually phased all of that kind of stuff out and moved exclusively to really beautiful, high-end, high-quality, luxury, ethical, sustainable fibres and rare and vintage fibres as well. And then over time, I don't know, freeform just sort of evolved. Yeah, I the first really big piece I did was a piece that I called Avalon. And it took me, gosh, I think it was about 10 hours to make. Mm. And it's just... It was just beautiful. I remember sort of standing back and looking at it and being really gobsmacked and and thinking, oh, God, did I make that? (laughs) That was the most bizarre thing to to step back and realise that I'd made something so beautiful. And that was really the beginning of Freeform for me. Mm. And it's it's pretty much my favourite thing to do. I Occasionally I'll weave and... I really tend to gravitate towards the free form and just doing whatever I feel like doing. Yeah. So I want to ask a question that is maybe not okay to ask. In, <laughs> ask in away. A, do you know what I mean? In like a socially acceptable sort of way. And that's, that's about, um, I, I've been thinking a lot about talking more about the financial side of 
fiber arts. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I was curious when you, when you said that you went from the fibers that you realized maybe didn't have such a great environmental impact to the fibers that maybe had a better environmental impact or you learned were biodegradable or ethically sourced. Um, I don't know. Can you sort of walk me through what that was like for you? And was there a sort of a new financial impact that that had on you? Yeah. Um, good question. Um, it made me um, a lot more conscious of how much I was spending. Mm. <laughs> um, and instead of just being quite sort of frivolous and, um, you know, like if you go into a like a spotlight here, which, again, I'm not sure what the international equivalent would be, but yeah, yeah. like a cheap a craft big, shop. Yeah, big box craft store, yeah. Yeah, you know, and you could kind of just go crazy, right? Because it's just cheap. Mm. Um, and it did become much more of a financial commitment um, as far as having to really rein myself in because those beautiful fibres come at a price and they are mm-hmm. worth every single cent. Mm. Um, but it's good too, I think, because it also, in some ways, it stopped me from wasting so much fiber as well, Mm. because you don't want to waste, you know, a single centimeter of that beautiful hand spun, botanically dyed wool or, you know, whatever it is that you're, you're working with because you've invested in it. It it does, it becomes an investment, um, Mm. And so then I then became a lot more conscious of not wanting to throw it away. So I have these bags underneath my studio desk <laughs> yeah. that are filled with scraps because yeah. I just can't bear to throw them away. And so I'll, I'll repurpose them, you know, at some point. But it is a financial commitment. Um, but I think for me anyway... Um, I feel that it's worth it. Um, mm. It sits well with me and it's just a better choice, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I'm I'm 100% with you and I think, I think I always just struggle with this because there's a level of disparity in it, you know? It's like if you can afford to be ethical, then you can be ethical, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's like with, without a better, um, in lack of better terms. Um, so I guess I'm just often thinking about how other people approach it. And I think it's the right, the right thing to do to, to talk about it and to, um, and like you were saying with just like, it makes you much less likely to waste mm-hmm. is a really good outcome of that. Um, and the other thing I was wondering, cause I actually find sometimes when I buy, really expensive wool or beautiful expensive wool is given to me. Mm, I feel yeah. this like, um, I feel this like really heavy burden of like, I, what if I don't make a really cool thing out of this? Yeah. <laughs> Does that ever happen to you? Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, it happens a lot. Um, so I've done some really amazing trades and 
some of those trades have been for fibre. I've also been gifted really beautiful fibre and quite often I will just sit and look at it almost too scared to use it for fear mm-hmm. for fear of not doing it justice and because it's a gift and yeah. you know you really want to honor um honor that that fiber it sounds so weird saying that but <laughs> <laughs> no but I totally get it <laughs> um and I I guess my most recent case of that was um when my bumps of wool came from Plump and Co they sit up on my desk almost like an ornament because <laughs> I just love them so much and I'm almost mm. too scared to use them because I don't want them to run out for a start. Um, but I just want to make sure that whatever I use them in that I that I do that I do them justice. Yeah. Yeah. Um can I ask you a question too about <laughs> Because um, much of this work is is to sell, is that right? Mm-hmm, yeah. Um, how did you kind of go from uh, like? Can you walk me through with like pricing? Like, obviously, you don't have to. We don't have to go deeply into this, but I'm mm-hmm. just curious. I'm always curious how people even go about like looking at their work and the material costs and the time and the aesthetic value, the function. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. Um, pricing is tricky to say the least, and I think it took me a really long time to, I guess, believe in myself or actually consider myself an artist in some way, I suppose, Um, and to price my pieces accordingly. And, um, you know, I work my prices out based on the hours that it's taken to create the piece, the materials that I've used, um, and also the fact that it's unique and it's one of a kind. I have never replicated something, nor could I for that matter, especially with my freeform pieces. And, and I really believe that if you price something there, there will be someone who your piece resonates with because you get asked a lot about prices, you know, and, and people will um, try to kind of haggle with you a little. <laughs> um, and I get it, you know, that's the nature of, the nature of handmade, I suppose. But mm. I really believe that my pieces are worth the prices that I put on them and... Mm that they will eventually find their forever home and there will be that one person that that piece will really, really speak to and they will just have to have it and they will pay what it's worth. Mm. Yeah. 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 It's thanks for sharing. Cause I think, I think that that's such a, it sometimes feels like a bit of a taboo subject to talk about mm-hmm. and, and then we're all kind of like I'm. I'm. I'm guilty of going like we all should be, you know, paid what we're worth. And then being like, oh, that costs that much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't have that much money. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, so I just, yeah. I think the more we can have these conversations, and the more that people talk about it and be open about, like this piece took me ten hours. Mm-hmm. The materials were this much. Um, you kind of, you know, we wouldn't try to haggle down a lawyer's price. 
you know, there's just certain things that I think the more we talk about it and the more people think about it in more set terms of getting, of people getting paid for a thing that they're doing, a, a, a skill that they're contributing, the more likely that people are going to be able to kind of cognitively process that and mm-hmm. be like, okay, I understand why this is the pot, like, price that it is, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's people who, who get handmade, who love handmade, um, tend to really appreciate and respect um, you know your pricing mm-hmm. um, it's potentially more so people who who aren't as into handmade they just aesthetically like the look of something as opposed to the fact that it's handmade mm-hmm. um, that try to negotiate with you a little more <laughs> I'm trying to be really diplomatic <laughs> and, I, and I'm trying not to say um so much because I realise I say it a lot. <laughs> not even. Not Don't even think about that at all. <laughs> so self-conscious. <laughs> no, it's all good. No. Um, and there I go saying um. Uh, so with these sorts of things, you you mainly like you kind of sell by, by like putting up a picture and then being like message me if you want details for it right is that kind of how you've done it yeah so I it, it is yeah mm. I did set up a website last year mm. and I just felt like it was so time consuming and I am so not savvy with you know websites and I'm very lucky that um that my partner is though and and he did a lot of that work for me but I just found trying to maintain it and keep momentum up was too much so I closed it Mm -hmm. and then I had a lot of people saying to me again this year oh you know open a store open a store so I opened a big cartel shop and I just found it really depressing to be honest Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just yeah I don't know I it I just found it depressing because it was sort of front and centre in your face all the time. You know, you might have six pieces listed and they'll be there for weeks or months or, mm. you know, however long. Um, yeah, so I shut that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just found it depressing. So, yeah, I, I really just sell via Instagram. Um and there's a couple of places near me that stock my, my pieces as well. Oh, yeah. um, and then occasionally I'll do commissioned works, but I'm a bit I'm a bit picky about doing commissioned works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so especially because of the way that I um, weave, not freeform, whatever you'd like to call it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I. I like to have a lot of freedom and sometimes commissioned work does not give you that. Um, mm-hmm. and I just can't create that way. So yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> I was just gonna, I was just thinking like, it's really good. I think it's really brave of you to realize these things and then do something about it. Mm-hmm. Like 
I think a lot of people, like myself included, often go like, am I doing this the right way? Like, should I be setting up an Etsy? Should I like be doing XYZ sponsorship wise for the podcast and then feel really a lot of anxiety about like, I'm not doing that. That's the wrong way. I'm not, you know, Um, but I think it's cool that you're just like, no, that doesn't work for me. I'm not going to do it that way. I'm going to find a way that works for me. And the same thing with commissions. I think it can be so tempting to just say yes to things because it's like, oh, it's another thing that I could do that someone might pay me money to do this thing I like doing. Mm -hmm. But to know that that know your process enough to be like, that doesn't really work for me. I think is really I think that's pretty special. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I. It it was it was a process getting there. You know, you have Mm. to learn some lessons along the way but I'm a really big believer in if it if it doesn't feel right in your gut and if your intuition is telling you no then just say no yeah yeah yeah. it can be hard hey Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) yeah um can you tell me what your favorite part about the fiber arts world is Oh, God, how much time have we got? (laughs) Maybe boiled down to your top three. (laughs) Um, I love how broad it is. Mm. Um, It's so encompassing of so many different styles and, you know, it it doesn't, it's not just one thing. You know, it's weaving, it's, macrame it's textiles it's knitting it's crochet it's sewing it's fashion yeah I I I really love how broad it is and Mm -hmm. the community within that is is really beautiful and I've thoroughly enjoyed connecting with people in that in that community from so many different um I want to say backgrounds, you know what I mean. Yeah. Whatever no. your, whatever their chosen mm. fiber love is, yeah. Mm. And just like I often find when I teach knitting workshops and stuff that the people who are all together sitting in that room would never otherwise be sitting together in any other context. It's um, someone from Spain and a man and a person of color. And it's like just, yeah, It's I think that that's such a cool every time I get into a knitting workshop and there's a variety of people, I'm like, this is awesome. Like you guys wouldn't otherwise talk to each other necessarily. You know, I, I in the grand scheme of things, if, you know, you probably wouldn't, these people, these same demographic of people would probably not otherwise be chatting. Mm-hmm. It's just that they happen to somehow be drawn to this one thing at the same time. And then they're all there together and then they're all talking and relating on this different level it's yeah I just find that like so exciting yeah I love that as well and I see that in my workshops too and Mm. yeah I love it exactly you know people that would never go out and hang out and have a coffee or or meet any other way Mm. yeah it's it's beautiful let's Mm. you know fiber brings people together (laughs) yeah and it's funny because I know there's other like communities and other (laughs) other hobbies that like bring people together but I there's something about the fiber arts community in particular that Mm -hmm. I think yeah I don't know it just seems it seems like there everyone is really fantastic yeah right it's really cool I have a a really um, great girlfriend of mine locally who um, 
is an amazing leather crafts person mm. and we chat about this quite a lot and, and she was always is always saying to me how amazing the community is that I seem to be a part of and how she can't find that same sort of connection and vibe in the handmade leather community. Huh. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It is, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I wonder if, um, I don't know, it seems, I think part of it seems like with fibre arts that by and large people are not super wedded to the idea that they started the thing, mm-hmm. by and large. <laughs> yeah. Obviously exceptions <laughs> from time to time. But, you know, the bulk of people that I've met through the podcast and through various things have just been really open to sharing their knowledge, mm-hmm. which seems unique. Like there are certain places, certain other fields where maybe people are a little more secretive about like, no, but this is my design. No, but this is, you know, I sort of invented this thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, it's like we've talked about in the past, like this is so bloody ancient, mm-hmm. most of these things. Almost all of this is so ancient that like none of us can claim to have made any of it up. Really. Yeah, yeah, there is you know? no, you know, there is no original thought. There is no yeah. original, you know, anything as far as creating with fiber yeah you know it Mm. just goes back so so far yeah um i just love that people are able to interpret it in the way that they love or that works for them yeah absolutely yeah and so okay so you started a few years ago now with Mm -hmm. would you call it would that be when like little loom started or did you kind of start dabbling and then little loom was after that yeah I definitely dabbled for a while yeah um and then so if you've ever got I don't know 10 minutes of your life that you want to give up scroll all the way back to the beginning of my feed (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and like occasionally I do it and I just kind of cringe (laughs) when I look at some of my, my stuff and, and some things that people bought and I almost want to contact those people and say, I'm really sorry, can I make you something else? Or, <laughs> um, can I make you a new one? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I just take that back. And yeah, yeah no, um, yeah. I, I guess when I originally started the Instagram page for Little Loom, it was really just a place for me to post pictures about the craft I suppose that I was having fun with Mm. and then it just started to kind of evolve I officially um, bought the business name last year Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah it just kind of took on its own life force I suppose and yeah it's been a really interesting journey I hate using that word. <laughs> it's been a journey <laughs> um, to to where I am currently with mm. with Little Loom and with Fiber Art. And the reason I called it Little Loom because people ask me this quite a lot is because I was weaving on a really little loom, and I'm also really impatient and mm. completely admire people who make these huge wall hangings on massive scale 
but that I just find it super boring. And <laughs> I, I just, yeah, I, I need to see something happen quickly. So, yeah. yeah, hence the term little loom. And also because I was time poor, I, I wasn't able to really do anything particularly big. But over time that has changed as my kids have gotten a bit older and a bit more independent. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, did you, was this like introduction to weaving and macrame your first foray into fiber arts? Like oftentimes people have a story that like, oh, my mom or somebody like taught them something back in the day. Do you kind of have a memory of learning any fiber art when you were a kid? No, I mean, my my mother is a, um, a keen sewer. Mm-hmm. Um, and she always has been like she she knit she crocheted she yeah she sews all that kind of stuff but I I never really got into it it was never my thing mm-hmm. you know hats off to her for trying I'm sure but yeah I just never really got into it I, I've always been or had a creative side to me mm-hmm. um but it was more so with things like drawing. And you'll probably laugh because I told you the other day that I can't draw. <laughs> and <laughs> so, yeah, my, my previous drawing experience is probably not my best work. But I used to love doing fine line drawing um, with like black Sharpies. And I, I would doodle pages and pages of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I didn't really get into fibre at all apart from fashion. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And until, yeah, a couple of years ago. And now, you know, I'm just obsessed. I'm so tactile. There were, I did a market stall with a girlfriend of mine last weekend. We were just, it was a secondhand stall. And this girl came in and she had on the most amazing dress. And I am that person who will come up to you and say, your dress is amazing. Can I please touch the fabric? (laughs) (laughs) And she was like, of course. I was like, it's amazing. Yeah, I I just love fibre and fabric. And Mm. yeah, I want to, I want to touch it and feel it. And yeah, that sounds weird, but yeah. <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> I think maybe to to the untrained ear, <laughs> to to a non fiber person, that yeah, I'm sure it would sound strange, but I totally understand what you what you're saying. It's like any any time I go in anywhere, my hands are just all over everything. Just, yeah, <laughs> and I do it with I do. It's like I don't know. It 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 kind of trickles out into how I interact with other things too. Mm-hmm. Like I, you know, I kind of touch and smell my food before I eat it like I'll take it I'll take like an apple and I'll smell it first like even though I don't know that that really makes a difference or I'm not really going to necessarily find out whether this apple's gone bad or something you know by smelling it I just it's just like intuitive and Uh I do the same thing with wool and yeah (laughs) linen and stuff yeah right yeah I yeah Yeah. I just love it yeah and driftwood like when I'm walking along the beach Um, I'll pick up a piece of driftwood and I'll smell it because it smells like the ocean salty and yeah. Every yeah. now and then you'll get one that smells really bad and yeah. you put it back. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I don't think I can actually make a wall hanging off of this yeah. one because it's just going to stink out the whole house. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Can you talk to me a little bit about motivation and how you stay motivated to continue making pieces for sale and stuff for Little Loom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a conversation with my uh, a girlfriend of mine the other day about this and I guess when I when I make things, I make something because I want to make it and because I've got this amazing fibre. I, I don't make something with this idea in my head of I have to make money. Mm. Um, you know, I'm very fortunate that um, I, I don't have to work as such. Um, and my motivation is, oh gosh, it just doesn't stop my head, seriously. The amount of ideas that I have in my head. I'll wake up at stupid hours of the night with an idea in my head and I won't be able to go back to sleep because I can't stop thinking about it. And so sometimes I will get up and actually either write that idea down or I'll start like the beginnings of it just to get it out of my head. Mm -hmm. Um, I do tend to wake up at about 4am most days. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And... Yeah, and I, I usually will come into my studio and start making something because I've had an idea and mm. it's beautiful, it's peaceful, it's quiet. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm self-motivated. I, I just have so many ideas, you know, that are things that I want to try and do and I'll get a new fibre and that will inspire me to do something different or I'll see something or... And I'll get an idea of, oh, how could I do that? And I think if I've ever had a slump as such, I've always found talking to other creatives a really great way to get re-inspired and to provoke thought and new ideas and, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think that's a common thread that, there are so many ideas and it's a, a matter of trying to get them all out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And whether it's four in the morning or <laughs> some, you know, it's, I was talking, um, I was interviewing Kate Smalley, who's a friend of mine from Canada on the podcast a little while ago. And she was, she was saying that like, she's the sort of craft person that like, if she has an idea, she has to do it right now or it's never going to happen. So mm-hmm. she will literally like check that the store is open, run there to go get the like dye that she needs to do the thing <laughs> and like strip down her whole kitchen and turn it into this acid dyeing facility. <laughs> yeah. Like, and I can, yeah, definitely relate to yeah. that feeling. I, of, and like, I'll this quite has o- to happen now. Yeah. And I'll quite often have, you know, four things happening at once. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'm really bad at just starting one project and seeing it through before I start another. Yeah. Because while I'm working on one thing, I'll get an idea for something else. So I'll start that and then I'll get an idea for something else. And so I start that. And then before I know it, I look around me, you know, and I've got two looms warped up. I've got a piece of driftwood hanging off my rack waiting for me to start doing something on it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> too too much going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think that's I think that's yeah, a common problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not a bad problem, but yeah. No, no. 
Um, what is the biggest bit of advice that you have for someone who's just starting out with fiber arts? Um, oh gosh, the million dollar question. <laughs> Don't be afraid to try. Um, there's, there is no right way, there is no wrong way. Yeah. Just try. If you have an idea for something don't not do it because you think it won't be well received or because you, you think that it's not the right way to do something. Like, just, mm. just try. Um, that's how we learn. That's how we evolve. That's how we grow. And the fibre community, as we've already talked about, is so beautiful and so supportive and so encouraging. Mm. Um, yeah, I just try. Yeah. 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 Awesome. And then I always love asking this question because I, you know, I'm like already following a bajillion people on Instagram, but I need a few more. <laughs> oh, um, who do you think we need to be following in the fiber arts world? Oh, wow. Uh, okay. That's really tough. I feel like I'm, I feel like I need to get um, open my phone up now and just have a quick yeah. flick through Instagram and go right. Who are the That's ones? That's fine with me. You can do that. <laughs> there, <laughs> there is one artist who I started following uh, recently ish, and I'm mm -hmm. just going to bring up her name. And I really apologise to this lady if I say it incorrectly. Um, her name is Dana or Dana. And okay. on Instagram, she is brosha me. So it's brosha underscore me. Okay. And her work is it's just beautiful. I love it. Um, amazing texture, amazing color palettes, and her feed. I want to move into her house. Anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other story. Um, yeah, I really, really love her work. Um, I'm trying to think who else. I was going to say Plump and Co, but you know, <laughs> you want yeah. to follow Jacinta. <laughs> no, yeah. but I, I don't know. Podcast listeners might not, so it's always yeah. good to to remind I, people. I absolutely love um, Plump and Co. I love Jacinta, even though we've yeah. never met. We're going to make it happen. Yeah, and I want to learn how to extreme knit. Yeah, I want well, to. Yeah, I need to. We're be gonna a... come up to your house and we're gonna teach you. <laughs> but seriously, I'm gonna t talk to Jacinta about doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do it, do it. Um, and and who else? Um, gosh, there's so many. Um, it's kind of hard off the top of my head to to think of one. Um, mm. uh, there's. There's two Australian ladies who make the most beautiful jewellery using fibre. Mm -hmm. And oh, yeah. um, one of them is a lady called Pip Taylor. And okay. on Instagram, she is, I'm going to bring it up. She yeah. is Philippa A. Taylor. Okay. Her work is absolutely stunning. So she works with porcelain. Um, she mm. hand makes all these incredible porcelain pieces and integrates fiber in with them it's they're oh, cool. stunning just stunning mm. 
And mm. the other lady is uh, Kelly Chapman. And on Instagram, she is, apologize, Kelly, if I say this wrong, Kella Oki, K-E-L-A-O-K. Oh, yes. Yeah, Beautiful, yeah. amazing, mm. amazing. And even her, um, her wall hangings um, that she makes, they're just stunning. Like I'm looking at her feed now, completely distracted and drooling because yeah, yeah, beautiful. She's someone I keep meaning to reach out to because I'm always like, oh, oh, her stuff is so cool. Because I love, I love when people mix, mix media in ways that you don't expect, or to you know take ceramics and fiber to make functional wearable stuff. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. are doing something cool, and I almost thought of that thing but yeah. you actually did it good good yeah. job yeah. one less thing I have to do yeah. yeah yeah it's already being done and you're doing it better than I could have so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh that's good yeah I'll link to all those guys in the show notes and if you think of more afterwards we can always we can always add to the the fiber love <laughs> list okay. yeah cool. cool was there anything else that you wanted to share with us No, just, you know, other than big love to everyone in the fiber world. And mm. I love connecting. Community is my jam. If you want to send me a direct message, you can pretty much guarantee I will write back because, mm. yeah, I just love it. If anyone's ever got any questions, please email me or direct message me on Instagram. Uh, I'm an open book. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Julie. Thank you. So good chatting. Thank you. Cheers. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) You've just listened to episode 19 of the Close Knit Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in and for your continual support of the podcast. It really means a lot to me. If you're interested in talking about sponsorship of the Close Knit Podcast, you can get in touch with me at hello at closeknit.com.au. Don't forget the .au there. Um, Yeah, thanks so much for tuning in. If you feel like reviewing the podcast and you haven't already done so, please go ahead and go on to iTunes, rate and review the podcast. That really helps us just find more people in the fiber arts community. Thanks again for listening. Till next time.